I never remember which is the name of the organization and which is the name of the conference. Yeah. But it's whatever pink something. It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast where we help you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm Matt Stratton, and I have a great guest with me today. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by VictorOps. Built for modern incident management, VictorOps provides a unified platform for real-time alerting, collaboration, and documentation. Driven by your IT and DevOps system data, VictorOps helps you to respond to incidents more effectively so you can minimize downtime and make being on call suck less. Visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash VictorOps to schedule a demo or start your trial. Mention you heard about VictorOps on Arrested DevOps, and you'll be eligible for some sweet discounts, too. GoCD is the on-premise, open-source, continuous delivery server created by ThoughtWorks. With GoCD's comprehensive pipeline modeling, you can model complex workflows for multiple teams with ease. And GoCD's value stream map lets you track a change from commit to deploy at a glance. GoCD's real power is in the visibility it provides over your end-to-end workflow, so you get complete control of and visibility into your deployments across multiple teams. Say goodbye to deployment panic and hello to consistent, predictable deliveries. To learn more about GoCD, visit gocd.org arrested to download. It's completely free to use. Commercial support and enterprise add-ons, including disaster recovery, are available. This episode is brought to you by Datadog, a monitoring tool that helps bridge the gap between operations and dev teams. Datadog brings together system metrics, changes, alerts, and events from over 120 common infrastructure tools, such as Chef, Docker, and AWS, so that dev and ops teams share their key data and alerts in a single place and collaborate on issues in real time. Datadog is available for a free 14-day trial at ArrestedDevOps.com slash Datadog. So today's guest and I have been trying to record this episode for at least a year. Uh, we tried to do it last year. I forgot that the Monday we were going to do it was Labor Day. That got confusing. Uh, and then we actually sat down a couple of weeks ago. We were, we were out at a bar and said, this is when we're doing it. We tried to record it yesterday and his internet went out. It was a whole thing. So we're trying this again. So I'm really excited to have J. Paul Reed joining me today to talk about DevOps, release engineering, and pretty much whatever random things come to mind. And the show notes for this episode can be found at ArrestedDevOps.com slash Grandpa Paul. <laughs> Thank you for that intro, especially the Grandpa Paul Grandpa part. Paul. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you sit there on your DevOps porch and... And say, Grumble. get get off my containers. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Paul, you want to uh, let folks know a little bit about your background, kind of your, your DevOps history? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I started uh, in release engineering. Building release engineering is, is my background. And uh, I'm a consultant. So I started doing consulting about five or six, six years ago, actually. It'll be next year. And I feel the way I explain it, I feel like um, – DevOps is sort of what release engineering kind of became, or at least there's definite threads of that. So I kind of got pulled into the the DevOps uh, community that way. Um, and then for those who may be wondering, this voice sounds a little familiar. We used to do a podcast called The Ship Show. And so that was uh, a podcast that we did for a number of years, one of the, the sort of earlier 
uh, DevOps podcast with DevOps Cafe and, and the Food Fight show at the time. And I had a number of, of wonderful co-hosts. And we did that for, what, 60 episodes, I think, I think is what we tried to do um, over, I don't know, two and a half, three years. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I've, uh, it was funny. I was, I was, we were talking about this, uh, I guess yesterday that, uh, somebody introduced me. I think it was all day DevOps. They introduced me as a founding member of DevOps or something like that. I was like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not really a founding member. I just happened to be around when a bunch of, uh, the, you know, early stuff was going on and, and as a function of the podcast got to cover a lot of early velocity conferences, a lot of early, uh, puppet and chef comps. Um, we got to cover the fifth anniversary of DevOps days in Ghent. Um, so I was just really lucky and privileged to be around, uh, people that, that, uh, were there at the beginning, but, uh, but, uh, um, I don't know that I would consider I, maybe a founding, uh, groupie. There you go. Yeah. You were, you were, uh, <laughs> tangential to the founders right? yes well you were uh recording like uh who's who's the 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 guy in the civil war that took the pictures um what's his name i have no idea See, you know what's funny okay so again so there was a whole thing we we recorded about 12 minutes yesterday and <laughs> i was like hey we can just pick up where we left off and paul's like no 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 i want to say it again because it'll be better and so we're going to be all fine. And now again, now I drop another one in there where we have no idea what we're talking about. Hey, so, I, I'm fine. You're the one talking about the person what I don't know. pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a famous Civil War photographer who doc- documented things. Or you're the Christina Yamampour of DevOps. There you go. I guess. So, uh, yeah, the ship show um, was very formative to me. You know, when I was starting to to get involved with DevOps, I kind of absorbed everything through podcasts. And ship show was one of the the first ones that I listened to. And again, we talked about this yesterday, so you get to hear about it again because you didn't hear what we recorded. But one of the things I, I asked Paul was I was really curious about the the opening theme because I thought it was really awesome, and I wondered if it was something that was like bespoke because it because there's there's a, a sound clip in there where it says, "What is your purpose in life?" To ship, of course, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And it re- reminded me very much of uh, there's this band from the 80s is called Information Society, and they had this song called Pure Energy. And it was the I want to know what you're thinking. And if you, I love the album and like every song had like little sound clips from Star Trek and sounded just like that. And yeah. Yeah. The, so the song, let's let's see if I can dig it up here. The song is actually from a group called uh, Antiloop and it's called Purpose in Life. And um, let's see. Did I? Oh. There it is. You hear it? Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, what we did is I actually stole that song from, um, oh, there it is. So it's funny, actually, I edited that. Um, the person says to explode, of course. Um, but the original song comes from, I, I actually had to go look this up because, um, um, it was actually kind of formative for me. Um, there was a show called, uh, Does Humor Belong in Technology? Dibit. Um, and so dhbit dot ca. You can go look at the really old episodes now because it was something, it was, it was before podcasts, really. And, and it was, um, um, a group of people and they would, um, 
get together and do this, uh, b- you know, before podcast. So they would stream it and they had an IRC channel. And so you would like get together on Sunday nights. This is, we were nerdy, obviously in, in college, you'd get together Sunday nights and, uh, listen does d- to this, does humor belong in technology. And they would just kind of, it was kind of like a morning show where they would just sit there and chat with each other. And they had this background music and that was one of my favorite songs. So it's by, by a group called Antelope. But yeah, we edited, that's actually me at a very special, bed up rate saying to ship of course um and that's where that song came from but our our theme song which i i never think about because i only listen to the episodes before we edit them and i drop it in but uh i a friend of mine who now works in technology which is funny because all the time i've known him he knew nothing about tech he's a musician and a composer but uh he did our song for us and which is very cool his name is brian crane and I've, you know, we don't really attribute it because he didn't actually ask us to do that, even though I was like, do you want me to say a thing? And so this might be the first time we ever told anybody that Brian Crane uh, is the person who did the Arrested DevOps theme. And the, the other thing, just real quick, and then we'll get to like talking about DevOps and stuff other than just this dorky crap. Um, if I recall correctly, Paul, you are the genesis of there's always DevOps in the banana stand, right? Yeah, well, or was so it I, Nathan? I, well, so here's the thing: is I I think I, I do remember that there was a so we had I think it was you and Trevor and Nathan Harvey and I had yep. a had a um a, a Google Hangout hang back in the day. Yeah, when we were getting started, I I, I asked the you know elder statesman of DevOps <laughs> podcasting. I was like, hey, the two grandpas, right? You know, can we jump on a hangout and kind of talk about how you do your shows and get some tips and stuff and. Nate, I remember Nathan talked about how they jokingly at the end of the ship show, like once or twice, he said, okay, chefs, keep it hot. And then it became this thing he had to say all the time. And then I think, Paul, you said, yeah, you could say there's always DevOps in the banana stand. Yeah, yeah, there was a arrested development riff there. And yeah, and, um, yeah we, we we did that, that. So that was the Food Fight show sign off. And then we did the... You know, from wherever you were, from whatever city, this is so and so signing off, um, and that was our kind of signature thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's I think it's important to have have good branding there. But uh, DevOps in the banana stands pretty good. And hey, I'll take credit for it if, if you want, if you want me to. <laughs> I, I want to just say well one thing, and then I, I bring into another topic too. When uh, the final kind of thing, thinking about podcasting. Um, when you talked about, you know, doing the ship show and, and being able to, to talk to a lot of folks who were very formative in what was going on in those early days, it's, uh, so Brian Berry, who was one of the, uh, the founding, uh, folks at, uh, Food Fight, he has a blog post, um, called You Should Start a Technical Podcast. And in it, he, he mentions, he says, you know, kind of the dirty little secret of tech podcasting is this is the way that you get people who you normally wouldn't have the opportunity to sit and talk to for a length of time to spend an hour talking to you. And it's absolutely true. I mean, that's one of the most awesome things about doing this show is being able to sit and spend an hour talking to, you know, folks like James Turnbull or, you know, charity majors or, you know, Jess Humble or all sorts of other folks we've had on the show who it's not like that at a conference, they wouldn't be nice and talk to you, but people are busy, right? Like you're not going to be able to sit down and say, Hey, Patrick, let's, let's sit down and spend an hour just chatting in the middle of a DevOps days. You know, I mean, everybody. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know? No, we got, I got that a lot. Uh, and that's something with the ship show. You probably experienced this too, where you're, you'll be at a conference and you'll be talking to someone. And, and for me, it was always, uh, when I got very animated about something, usually get, <laughs> uh, talking about get, but, uh, people would be like, I've heard that voice before. Yeah. Um, and I remember some of the other co-hosts mentioning that too. It's like, Oh, who, you know, who's that? And, and then they yeah. rack their brains to figure out where, where they've heard it. And it's like, oh, right. And then the other fun thing I was like, listeners would tell us what they would do while listening to the podcast. And the big one was like, um, yard work, like mowing the lawn. (laughs) Like, okay. Uh, Laundry was another chores were a big one. For me, it was the car. Cause like at the time, yeah, yeah, well, it wasn't even the commute. It was that, um, at at the time before I, you know, moved closer to, uh, where my kids live, I was several times a week, driving for almost an hour each way to like go see my kids and everything. So I was sitting on the, you know, Eisenhower Expressway, you know, listening to Ship Show and DevOps Cafe and just sort of going through through all of that. And it, it's funny when you start to, you know, people that you you quote unquote feel like you know because you listen to their show and then you get to know them in real life. But it's like, I felt like I, you know, it's sort of like, I feel like I know you, even though we haven't met yet, you know, kind of thing. And I know it's funny when on, on the ADO side, I mean, I think Trevor probably makes the most hay out of his, his podcasting fame. He definitely gets into like people getting excited and wanting to do selfies and stuff like that. So we get a, a lot of that. By the way, we have an Instagram. Um, if you go to Instagram.com slash Arrested DevOps. Yeah, I just, I just posted a picture of myself. Yeah. Cause, you know, when I, we never did that. We, yeah, that, that's one thing that I'll, I'll give you props on. Sometimes you do like hangouts that you stream or have video of. And it's like, no, you didn't, you, you wouldn't want to see us <laughs> taping. Well, we've, so. we've kind of dropped that cause it's, it's nice to have the control. But I yeah. mean, I think it's hard. Do, it's hard work. It, it is. And, and for, for listeners who don't know, I mean, Paul, this is probably why you kind of had to stop because you put way more effort into ship show than, than, than we do. You know, I think you told me that it was like five minutes for every of work for every one minute of, it was more like show. Eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you're a lot more uh, diligent about your post-production and stuff, <laughs> but I, I think, I think we do a pretty good job of oh definitely releasing, yeah. releasing regularly and all that good stuff. But anyway, Let's talk about some uh, DevOps. Let's talk about things. some DevOps. Yeah. yeah. The nice so, little stroll, uh, holiday stroll down memory lane. And, and it's great. We can talk about podcasting junk because Bridge is not on. Bridge gets like really bored when we talk about <laughs> like the, the inside, like when we're on the show talking about the behind the scenes part of it. It's sort of like how Sasha would get when you guys would talk about source control. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, or I, I feel like there's like a VH1. Is there a VH1 behind the DevOps behind, or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been, well, you know what? Okay. So I, and again, I swear to God, we're going to stop talking about podcasting. Um, but I super wanted, well, now we're sort of doing it, but I super wanted to do an episode with like you and me and Nathan and Damon and John and like to just talk about like what it's like to do a DevOps podcast. And it's, it's just funny. Like I was like, ah, no one want to listen to that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, then they don't have to listen to that episode. So guess what? We sort of just did that one for the last 10 minutes. So now well, we'll feel- do that. We'll do that in a, cu- a couple of years when we get it sure. Scheduled. The next time we can schedule something. Yeah. Although um, there was one, and I'll, I promise we'll, we'll not, we won't talk about podcasts anymore, but there, that one, there was, what was the episode idea? Cause didn't you end up doing it with Nicole? That was like, oh, a, yeah, sure. the, the car that, talk. The cart, that's right. That started on Twitter as a conversation between, uh, uh, all of us. Uh, yeah, the car talk episode. I remember that. 
Yeah, it was uh, the um, it was something because Nicole was talking about how people would say stuff to her. And she, they'd be like, are you sure, Nicole? And she's like, yeah, data. And I think you were saying that, you know, there should be a call. She should have a podcast called You Sure, Nicole? <laughs> and then we kind of did this thing where it was it was the DevOps call-in show where we got questions. And by the way, speaking of which, we're going to try to do something similar for our 100th episode. Oh, nice. Um, it's an AMA for the host. So if you go to arrestdevops.com slash AMA, as in ask me anything, you can... Ask us questions you want us to answer on the show that could be about DevOps, could be about the show, could be about what we do for work, or you could just tweet us. Um, hopefully, we'll do that. So anyway, but so one of the things uh, that that uh, there's a topic I want to talk to, but to, to lean into it or to lead into it, the 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 way I kind of first heard about this was a couple of years ago, uh, Paul and I and, and a couple of other folks were invited to uh, speak at the uh, Pink Conference, um, which is the you know big ITSM ITIL conference, and it was the first year they were having a DevOps track. It was really exciting to come and do that, and uh, a lot of people that really needed to hear that message and were really interested. But one of the things that was cool for me is uh, I guess they do this thing, and Paul, you can. Talk about it. They have this uh, pink think tank. So I guess the week before the conference, they got a bunch of uh, you smart people, uh, including uh, you know Rob England, <laughs> who's the IT skeptic on Twitter. And you guys came in and y'all came in and talked, you know, thought big thoughts and and all that. And then I, I was uh, fortunate enough to kind of see the presentation of what 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 y'all thought about. And that's when I first uh, was exposed to, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but is the Seinfeld. <laughs> The, Sein, the, the Seinfeld framework? Yeah, we always laugh because uh, Cinefin right now, it's... it's Cinefin. Uh, no, no, it's it's Kinevin, but people Kinevin. See, see it. Uh, it's a Welsh word, uh, so the, the, the vowels and, and the consonants are all hard and soft in the wrong places, right? Uh, the hard C and the, the hard F. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, the Cinefin, as, as we joke. Yeah. And, and um, actually, uh, Dave Snowden is the person who kind of sort of came up with uh, this sense-making framework in his head well, he's Welsh. His head will explode if you call it Cinefin. Um, but yeah, so um, uh, you mentioned uh, Rob England at, at the Pink Conference. He does the Pink Think Tank uh, every year, and he gets a bunch of people together. And one of the interesting things about it is that he keeps it sort of fresh uh, by you can you. I don't think he's had any repeat think tankers, right? It's always new people every year. Uh, except, I mean, he's, he's there everywhere, every year and he gets everybody in a room for a day and they, you know, think about there's a, there's a leading question. We, we meet or we met a couple of times via Google Hangout, but, but not for long, mostly just to kind of think about the, the question beforehand. We get together, we think about it, uh, for, for a day. So, uh, before the conference and then we put together, um, a bunch of, uh, you know, what we come up with, uh, we had a bunch of, we had some whiteboards and stuff in there. So we took pictures of that, turned that into a presentation and it, it's actually a couple presentations. Um, and, and Rob, uh, you know, as you mentioned is the IT skeptic. That's, um, that's his big, uh, kind of brand thing, but it's funny to see him change recently around DevOps. He's really done a 180 and, and he's sort of all in on DevOps. He was very skeptical at first. So we did a think tank that was, was largely about sort of IT problems and DevOps and that sort of thing. Uh, Damon actually joined me there and, and then a bunch of other people. And, uh, so we did a couple of reports and we brought up, uh, the Kinevin model, um, 
it, it came up, I brought it up and, and one of the other, a couple other people brought it up as well as a way to sort of start looking at IT problems. What's interesting about it is that, um, it, it's starting to be, you start, if you ever hear a technical presentation where they use the word, the words chaotic, complex, and complicated in close proximity to each other, as if they're talking about a ladder of situations getting worse or something like that, you can bet that they're talking about uh, Kinevin because that those are kind of the main, you know, its main, uh, if you call it a quadrant, again, Dave Snowden will will bite your head off because it's not a quadrant. Um, but, but, uh, comp, uh, you know, obvious or they call it simple systems, complicated systems, complex, chaotic. Um, that's, that's a model that you're seeing being applied like all over the place. Um, and not just by the way to, to it. I mean, it was, a, it's a, it's used to solve like international, uh, you know, international politics problems, um, lots of different uses. Um, and, and so it's fairly interesting and it's a good, it provides a good model to sort of think about a lot of the things, because I think people talk about complex systems, uh, a lot of the time, but it provides a bit of a sort of framework or, or model to think about, well, what do we mean when we say complex system? What do we mean when we say complicated? How would we act differently in a complex situation versus a chaotic situation? Uh, and it, it gives us the language to really talk about those things, which I think is, is super important. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll put a, put a link in the, the show notes to the Wikipedia article, but it, it goes into kind of that good explanation of, you know, the idea of simple, obvious, right? Which is the known knowns, you know, the mm-hmm. complicated or those known unknowns and, and, and where those, those places go. And, and I think hopefully I don't remember if, uh, if the presentation from the think tank is publicly available or if it's only for, if it is, we'll, we'll find a link to it. If yeah. It's I'll not. see if I can sorry dig it up. It. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So, so um, one of the interesting things I think, so, so I think where this comes up and I, and I get, I get sort of yelled at, at uh, on Twitter about this um, uh, often, um, which is fine. Um, I kind of like complain about our use of best practice and, and really IT's use of, of the term best practice. And that argument fundamentally comes from the Kinevin model because it argues or sets up it and, and says that best practice is only applicable in simple or obvious systems. We don't work in, in, you know, simple systems. We work at, at best in complicated systems and usually in complex, we kind of straddle that boundary there. And, you know, one of the presentations I, uh, that I do called the five dirty words of CI, one of them is best practice. And it doesn't take a lot of examples to prove that best practice is not actually a thing in our industry that, that we should be so concerned with. Um, because I just asked the question, how many people like their best practices and hands go up. And then how many people like other people's best practices and then hands kind of go down. Or the other example I often give is, is you'll, you'll just ask a team separately. Hey, what, what's your best practice for rebooting the database? Go ask a database team. Right. And, but you ask that question separately of those people and you'll get different answers. It's like, well, if it's a best practice, shouldn't all your answers be the same? 
And people will then sit there and, and argue for why their best practice is better. And that is a great example of, no, you don't have best practice. You have good practice. Good um, practices, yeah. There's, yeah, and Ken uh, Mugreg, uh, who is DevOps, he's, he's just joined the, the DevOps Days group, the international one. The, yeah, the core team. Yep. Yeah, the core team. He, he and I, and I, and I told him I would steal this from him. Um, he brought up the, this idea of um, chosen practice which I really liked because basically he was trying to make the distinction of best practice in our environment, right? In our company, in our context, he was saying that companies have what they call best practice, but it's not industry best practice. It is good practice for us. It's chosen practice. Um, and I, I really, really like that idea. Um, I kind of, there's a, to be honest, there was a present uh, presenter uh, at the pink conference, um, who, uh, was talking about best practice and, uh, I, I, I tweeted it. I, I, and I, I won't, I won't tell you where they're from, but they, they said they were talking about DevOps and they were talking about how, uh, you know, this is really great. And I can't even remember what aspect of DevOps they were talking about, but they were saying this is really great because, um, this is industry best practice and management loves that. It's not some one-off thing that nobody else is doing. And I tweeted, oh, you mean a one-off thing like Amazon and Google and Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. And and right, and so uh, I just think, uh, you know, it, like I said, it gives us good language to think about those things. Um, and it, it, in some ways, I think explains, we all run around, you know, the best practice thing, we all run around talking about it, but we actually are, are doing good practice, or maybe you might call it chosen practice. I like chosen practice. The, the term, it's great. The term that um, we we've used at Chef is we talk about having uh, patterns for success. Yeah, you know, with with customers because again, they're patterns, right? A practice is like a thing that you do, right? Like we usually think like you do this thing, whereas a pattern is kind of a way of thinking about things, but the way you implement it is going to potentially be a little different. It's like a little higher up the stack. Right. Uh, right. And then how you make that happen is what's going to be more specific to you. Right. It's this kind of idea of heuristics around what we're doing is, you know, are, are we Netflix? Are we shipping videos across the internet? Does that context make sense? Um, you know, one of the other examples I give about why best practice practice is not a thing, um, is that in the complex and complicated space in which we work, uh, this is also very intuitive to a lot of people. We, we literally can't define everything. Um, and we can't come up with uh, a defined procedure that takes us to the end. So the example that I give is, okay, the database goes down or, you know, the web, you know, the, the web server goes down, whatever. And people will say, okay, well, um, Get the runbook for that, right? And how many of our runbooks say, well, okay, do step one, do step two, do step three. And then if that doesn't work, page a person and that person will come in and maybe they have a, a, a more in-depth runbook and they do those steps and it doesn't work. And then at some point, it's just like, okay, you have to engage your brain and think about it, right? So a lot of these problems aren't in the simple space where we could come up with a list of steps that would fix the problem or deal with the situation. Um, so, so it's, it's even a, an issue of we don't do best practice because we don't take the time and effort to actually define every node of the decision tree. 
Um, and even if we did that, even if we could pause our systems and do that, um, it would be obsolete as soon as we unpause them and they operated for a while and we made changes to them. So, um, that's why you'll see me on Twitter, um, yelling about best practice and root cause analysis. Um, those are my big pet peeves and people yeah. react to the, my pet peeving about them differently. Well, so, you know, that's what, that's what makes, no, yeah, that's fun. what, that's, I know that's what Twitter is good for. That's great. So, uh, what's, what's wrong with DevOps today? That's, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, one of the biggest things I see that is, I think, problematic in, uh, DevOps is, um, this idea that we've started codifying it and defining it. And once you do that, you start to stamp out some of the emergent behavior. And it's not like somebody is saying, I don't want emergent behavior or somebody's specifically trying to say, um, let's not be emergent. It's a function of how humans work, right? Once, once people can refer to a definition, um, they start thinking to themselves, uh, okay, what I'm doing is part of that definition or it's not, right? So they start bucketing themselves into whatever the process is or not. Um, and so you start, you start losing some of that emergent behavior. Um, and it's actually kind of interesting. It goes back to what we were talking about, about best practices. Um, you know, is continue, do you have to be doing continuous delivery to do DevOps? It, it, it's an interesting question. I don't, you know, and that's an interesting discussion to have. Um, if you look at DevOps Enterprise Summit, the first few summits really didn't talk a lot about DevOps. They kind of jumped over to talking about continuous delivery. And I mean, f- four years ago when, when it wasn't even in SF, it was at the, the Marriott by the, the airport. And I remember attending that one and it was a great conference. And the first year in SF too, there was sort of, it was DevOps Enterprise Summit, but then everybody just immediately started talking about continuous delivery, right? Um, so the thing is, is that I think, I think with a lot of the materials that we've seen, we've started really sort of defining what DevOps is. Um, and I think that can be problematic because it makes it so that we can bucket it. You already see this starting, uh, to occur with, um, if people have heard of Simon Wardley, um, he's, uh, does something called Wardley mapping Yep. and it, yeah, it's a way to kind of map the terrain of, of things. Um, He's already talking about, he's one of his big presentations. He's talking about DevOps is what my, you know, he, he tells a joke. There's a punchline in his presentation where he's talking about wordly mapping. Um, DevOps is what my mom and dad did, right? Um, so he's already talking about how, and his big bet is serverless is going to be the end all be all, which we, we that would be an interesting conversation to have. But the point is, is that's an example of, of a, a group of people around a practice, i.e. serverless, that are already starting to say serverless is emergent and it's not DevOps. It's not part of DevOps. And part of the thing that makes that so is that we've defined the DevOps is this and it maybe isn't some of this other stuff. So I think that's, um, I don't know that I would say it's necessarily something that's wrong with DevOps, but I think it's, it's a huge, uh, sort of shift from the first few years. And I think it's an interesting shift. If you remember, uh, Matt, I'm sure, you know, we've all talked about is DevOps going to become the next capital A agile and are we going to have a week long conference 
with, you know, 5,000 attendees, is it going to be like a reinvent type thing, right? Is there going to be, you know, the the rugged DevOps and safe DevOps? And, yeah. Right, right. And so the thing is to do that, it all starts with defining it so that you can start saying, well, this is this is what it is and this is what it isn't. Um, and so the question is, I, th- I think this goes right to that that question or even that concern that uh, we might be going down that road. It's capital D DevOps versus you know, not. So I think, I think that's, that's sort of, um, one thing to think about. Um, one of the other things that I don't know that people are talking about, but for those of us that have been around for a long time, um, I know you, you have probably seen this. I think some of the early wins are starting to erode. Um, there is not a better example of this, unfortunately, than Etsy. We used to talk about Etsy as a, a, a unicorn and, and an organization that was really doing DevOps right. Um, and there was actually just recently an article in the New York Times about how, uh, you know, their board, uh, you know, made a leadership change. And the article is really about the effects of that. Um, and one of the really interesting parts of the article, and in fact, I, I tweeted this the other day, um, th- that was a quote from the article that was talking about, uh, the New York Times went to Glassdoor and pointed out that a lot of the reviews were really bad. And then the, uh, reporter <laughs> found out that HR at Etsy sent an internal email asking people to, to say positive things about Etsy on Glassdoor. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't mean to make, you know, Etsy, you know, make them, you know, feel bad or, or point the, point the spotlight on them. Um, I know for a fact there are other organizations where they started on really interesting DevOps journeys. They had a lot of initial wins. Uh, and then there was a leadership change, uh, for, you know, for some reason. Um, and, and they, Ha, no longer are realizing those wins and they're going back to the way that they always worked before. Um, I, so I think that's something that, uh, we, sh- that's something we're not talking about. And, uh, I get why we're not talking about it. It's very, uh, you know, visceral and, and it's hard to talk about. And, it's and we're talking about friends. Yeah. And we're talking about friends, right? We, I, I know, I know, you know, people at Etsy. I know people at Etsy. Um, I know people at, at other organizations uh, that that used to work at other organizations that have moved on because of leadership changes. And so I think the thing there that is interesting to sort of parse apart and start to think about is uh, it's kind of like it reminds me a lot of, you know, we think in technology that we're all unique snowflakes and technology is unique snowflake. So nothing of history a- anywhere applies to us. And I think there's a- an interesting connection to be made about the Numi plant, right? Which was a automobile manufacturing plant here in Fremont, California, that was a joint venture. And I'm going to probably mess up the details, but I believe it was Toyota and GM. And there's a, there was a lot of research that sort of came out because they use kind of the Toyota manufacturing and management methodology to, to run the plant, but it was American employees and, and American cars that were being made. And I think Really what you're seeing is the argument or the, the difference between this idea of continuous improvement. And we see this idea of continuity going everywhere. And the thing, you know, uh, I, um, 
you know, took calculus like most engineers and I have nightmares about it, but I really think it's, it's, that's a good metaphor for moving from discrete improvement to like continuous improvement, right? That we, we become a continuous sort of function as opposed to a discrete function. And, and so the, the reason I bring that up is that I think it's really, if you look at, at cars and, and so what so much of some, a lot of the DevOps methodologies come from that come from Toyota, it's really the, the difference between GM and Toyota. You know, the Toyota production system was they shifted the way that they worked way back when. And so it wasn't a continuous improvement. It wasn't an, an improvement initiative. It wasn't a DevOps initiative. It was we need to change the way that we work and we need to build in this idea of continuous improvement on our methodologies. And that's where they, you know, where they started to pull away from the competition because they changed fundamentally the way they work and they didn't see it as a shift in the way they work and then they're done. Right. And I think that is probably the major difference in a lot of the organizations that you're going to see whether or not they're successful in the next five to 10 years of DevOps adoption. Is it a short-term thing? Is it something where, you know, they, they hire someone, uh, you know, like me to come in and, and help them with the transformation. And it's not really a transformation. It's like, oh, we, 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 we've transformed now and we're done. Um, or is it a really fundamentally different way about how you think about the problem of doing the work that you need to do in IT? And then you would come up with other emergent behaviors that are part of that. And that's where that kind of worries me because if we, just codify all of the practices of DevOps and then we start certifying them and handing out certificates and, and certifications. You know, I'm a, I'm a black belt DevOps or whatever you, you have. Um, then we've, we've removed all of that continuous improvement out of it because we're not, we're not curious about DevOps anymore. We're not curious about what does that mean because the answers are in a book somewhere. At least that's the way we think about it, right? And that's where I think then you you can kind of see it in in car manufacturing, right? GM and their performance versus Toyota and their performance, um, you know, at least historically, right? That failed. Those behavior changes failed to take hold at GM, and that was the difference. So um, that's that's one of the things that I, you know, those those two things are are something that I sort of worry about from from a DevOps perspective or worry about DevOps. Um, you know, there's a really interesting question, uh, Matt, that I've posed before: um, Would DevOps survive a recession? Um, and what I mean by that is, imagine a 2008 level financial event would these this transformation that's happening in it would it survive that and i've had that conversation with a few people and it's an interesting kind of conversation to think about because some people argue well yes devops provides so many benefits that that it would it's cheaper and it's better and it's faster so of course it would survive and you know i i know you've done a lot of uh, you know transformation stuff with organizations and it's like at the beginning devops is is usually more expensive you usually have to go slower um you usually have to be more deliberate about about what you're doing to make it work. I mean, all of this investment in, in configuration management automation, right? That's a lot of work that, that you didn't used to have to do. So um, companies also tend to be much more risk averse when 
the financial world is crashing down around them, right? So I, I am not so sure that if we have another, you know, recession or, or, you know, um, hard event in the business world that, that affects the macro economy, that DevOps won't be the first thing on the chopping block because it's easier to go back to the way we did things, um, because it's, it's safer and, and it's less risky. Well, and the value proposition of DevOps goes away when you're being, um, when you're in a situation like that, because a, a big part of why this exists is so that you can be more nimble and you can deliver faster to your customers and do that. And when you're kind of, you know, going into this, uh, pulling yourself into your shell to, to play defense, right? You're, you're less concerned about going and, you're not worried about Uber disrupting you, right? Because you're just, you're just trying to keep the lights on. Right. You know, you're, you're not, you're not innovating at that point. You're again, you're playing defense. And if, if what you're doing is, if, if th- that's a whole point, right? If what you're doing is playing defense and DevOps doesn't help you. Right. Well, and yeah. I don't, I, and that's the thing that what you just said is entirely correct. But in a, in a financial event like the 2008 crisis, I don't even know that the thinking is happening that way. It's OMG, we are hemorrhaging money. What what is this line item for DevOps transformation? Get rid of that, right? Oh, sure. So it's not even oh, can we outcompete Uber? What what does well, that look like? It's like oh, we we don't have you know millions to spend on this anymore, or whatever it is, right? Well, I'm saying it's two things. One is like cut what you already have, but you're also going to see companies that haven't transformed. Oh yes, aren't mm-hmm. going to. Yep. Because they don't have the driver to do it, yes. right? Yeah, like, totally. That's yeah, it's 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 twofold. I think. Yeah. So I'd actually, to be honest, I you know if if listeners listening to this, I'd actually be curious what what your take on it is because and feel free to to uh, you know to start the conversation on Twitter about it because I've had people argue it the other way. I've actually had people argue that um, if you have sort of leaders that are are in a position of power in the organization where they can do it and their transform their kind of go-to on how they lead is transformation. They might actually double down on it, which is an interesting argument to make. Um, and, and, and so that's why I think it's, it's a really meaty conversation to have. Um, and I'm curious, you know, what, what I think, you know, it will be, you know, we will have a recession again at some point. Um, and, and hopefully it's not as bad as 2008, but it will be curious to see kind of what happens there and where, where we sort of fall back to. Um, there's one last thing I would say that, that worries me. Uh, I wouldn't say it's wrong with DevOps, but worries me. Um, I was actually chatting with Sasha, Sasha Bates, who was, who was one of our, our podcast co-hosts on the ship show. And she kind of, you know, we were talking about it and, and, uh, we were just chatting about what, what she was doing and working on. And, and, and she was kind of mentioning, yeah, I'm kind of over DevOps. Um, you know, the, 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 the kind of impression that I got from our conversation was she was kind of like, uh, you know, the moment has come and gone, right? Um, that kind of magical moment that sort of brought us all together. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things that I, I talk about a lot. Like I was really lucky starting consulting when I did and, and I met a, a ton of amazing people and, and had that opportunity. And that I think was just random within the industry, just random industry shifts. Um, but a lot of people that, you know, I know Matt, you and I know have sort of, um, you know, that we're, we're luminaries and really influential in, in beginning DevOps has sort of tapped out of it. Right. They're just, they're just like, yeah, it, it's not what it was. And it, it, and not only is it not what it was, it's to the point where I don't want to be a part of it anymore. Um, and from a continuity perspective, 
of, of what we always talk so much about tools and culture, tools and culture from a cultural perspective of what it means to be a DevOps community, uh, even a macro community, but even, you know, even a smaller micro community. I think when you, um, lose a lot of that, that, uh, talent and that context and that, uh, you know, um, history, uh, I worry what will replace it because something will replace it. Um, and so that's what I, I worry about on a, yeah, about DevOps. It, it, yeah. I feel like there's, there's definitely, well, what, what is it? It's the, the garden thing. It's the trough of disillusion, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe I mean, that's a hundred percent. And, and it's funny because I've been thinking about this specifically because I, you know, I'm starting a new job on Monday where my title is DevOps evangelist. And I was like, congratulations, by the way. The, thank you. By the, by the time y'all are listening to this, I'll already be You'll firmly that. be in the, the yeah. job, but yes. The, and, and I, I sort of was sort of thinking about that. I was like, well, so that's great. Now that's, that's not a thing, but not that it's not a thing. The, but I think that's where, where we are. You know, and I, I also have seen, um, I think that's just a thing that happens with – I don't want to say early adopters because the, the kind of folks we're talking about aren't really necessarily adopters, but things do change, right? You know, and and we can sit and we can kind of, you know, tear our clothing and gnash our teeth and say, well, it's not what it is, you know, and it's this It's not what it used to be. Yeah, this, right, is, this but, is where Grandpa Paul comes in, right? Um, yeah, and, you know. and it's, it's kind of this thing and I – oh, man, I can't remember the terms – but we, you know, we were talking about this, um, at, at shot. I was talking about this, um, you know, as you kind of go through it and it's like you, there's this, you start with early adopters, right? And early adopters are people that will take the thing warts and all. They'll deal with the rough edges because they believe in it. They want to do the thing. And then it's like the, the optimistic something, right? They're the companies that are there. They tend to be people, companies who are like, okay, I, I, I buy this. This is good, but they have, different types of requirements, right? Your early adopters are the ones who are like, just sort of give me an API and give me a big tool set and I'll figure it out. Right. But then when you get to that next level, it's like, you know what we do want and, you know, lack of a better term, best practices, or they want recommendations. They want direction. They sure, want. But, so here's, but I'm here's, just saying that's sort of where we're transitioning. And I'm not saying it says that it needs to be codified, but what's happening is this thing that was sort of like, it's, it's almost like a, like you think about like the the Mac team that the team that developed the Mac and they were rebels and they had their pirate flag and all this and that's how the people if you think about it if you were in DevOps from the beginning that's who you thought you were you were the <laughs> rebel right and it's it, here's the thing it's like do you ever watch the show um it's this uh, show on the BBC called Coupling it's really no. funny okay well anyway the the whole gist of it was there's this point and I I don't remember political parties in England and UK well enough to know what it was but it was. That the, the one woman was, you know, she was used to being whichever party she was that was the, the downtrodden one. And, you know, her, her boyfriend was like, no, you're in power now. And she's like, no, we're the good ones. We're the rebellious ones. Right. And it's like, that's the thing. It's like, well, when, when you, when you win the revolution, you are not what that thing was is now the normal. Right. And so right. then if so, what you but- were enjoying was being that gadfly and like, and being like the disruptor. Well, the, the the shit got disrupted. 
Yeah. No, no. Now we're so, just doing some work. Right. You know? Right. And, and that was the, that was the, you know, that was the funny thing. I think Dave, uh, Mango from Salesforce said that, you know, at the get recording on the ship show, he, he was saying that, you know, we're in 10 years, we'll just call DevOps going to work. Um, and, and that's, there's, you know, that's good. I mean, you know, when, if you want to shift the, the lens and ask, you know, what's right with DevOps, I, I do think that, you know, let's assume, that let you know, uh, and these are all made up numbers, right? But let's assume that like the unicorns, the the Netflixes, and and the Etsy's and whatever that that's a hundred percent DevOps. I guarantee, and I know you've seen this, that if an organization takes twenty percent of DevOps and whatever that is, right? They they configuration manage stuff or or whatever it is, right? Um, and that sticks, their life is still going to be better, and that's good. Um, and, and, but to the point though, and I think you, you said it really beautifully, um, when we sort of codify it and all of that, you have a bunch of organizations, large organizations now that are like, yeah, this doesn't, this doesn't work for us. How can we make it work for us? And if we lose that emergent behavior, then there's no space for us to invite them in a credible way and say, you know what? Your problems are really interesting. Let's come together as a community, as a culture and help you figure that out because we've got a set of people saying, no, DevOps is what's in this book and everything else is not DevOps. We used to not have that, which was bad, but there's also a positive aspect to that. And so that's the thing that I think we're going to see in the next five years as a community. Um, it's We're going to wrestle with that, and it's going to be interesting to see how it, it pans out. But I do think we're in, you know, that uh, maybe not what's not the hype cycle, but the adoption curve. I think we're past that chasm. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, Gene Kim always talks about, you know, improving the lives of millions of IT workers, uh, which is, a, you know, a tall order. Um I think, I think we, I think DevOps does have the power to improve that many IT workers' lives. The question is, are they ever going to get to, uh, you know, the, the, the DevOps nirvanas that we hear about, the DevOps unicorns? Um, and is that, you know, how do we feel about that? And that's an interesting question. How do we feel as a community about that? Maybe 20% or 30% improvement in those people's lives is enough the needle is moving, right? Yeah, and definitely. It, and, and that's one of the things that I agree. I, I would absolutely agree with Gene. And it's, it's one of the things that I've, I've really loved with, you know, working at chef is because, you know, I've been in the shit, right? Like I know how, how much it can mm-hmm. suck and I know how doing these things makes things better. And I know that that's the thing. It really yep. is. It's like, this is making people's lives better. That's pretty awesome to be a part of that. Um, but like, I'll give so you one, I'll give you one really good example. I worked with a, with a client and they ha- had a, had a lot of uh, challenges. And one of the things is their IT staff just, um, they had a maintenance window every Saturday night and their IT staff worked every weekend from like 10 PM on a Saturday to like 3 AM on a Sunday. That was their window. And they just did that every week. And I, and I remember talking to them about that and they just didn't see a problem with that. They, that was like, that's, that's what we do. And that's how our system works. And that's, they, they saw no issue with that. So even if that organization never ever gets rid of that, if, if from a, from a industry perspective, 
they can see some of the presentations at DevOps Enterprise Summit. They can see some of the work that Nicole, um, in her new book is, it talks about how you can move quickly and move, um, you safely at the same time and, and some of the practices that it takes to do that. Even if their organization doesn't change, but they go, you know what? My life could be better if I get another job somewhere else. That's still a win, even if it's not the win that we might think it, it, we would like it to be, you know? Yeah, for I mean, that organization. Just, just like you said, an organization is never going to be done. As, and the industry is never going to be done. Right. We're, we're not going to be like, and you know what? And because we're going to be moving to the next way to make things better, because the world is going to change. Yep. And that's that. DevOps was reacting to the things were the hey, we tried doing things one way, and it really wasn't working out. Especially as our world, the actual literal world, changed, mm-hmm. and the world is going to continue to change. Mm-hmm. And you know what? 10, 15 years from now, we're going to look back at how we did DevOps. The way we do DevOps today will not make any sense in 2030. Sure. But so the question is, do we still call it DevOps then, right? We probably won't. Naming things is hard. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it's funny. I just actually recorded an episode right before I was recording with you um, with uh, Aaron Reinhardt. And we were talking about uh, this uh, security tool that his company, uh, InnerSource, open source. So we're talking a lot about security and we're talking about the DevSecOps thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, it's, yeah, it's funny that, you know, uh, DevOps is, an, is actually an unfortunate name because it implies it's just DevOps. And I think we all know it's not. Right. Um, and I, I also had to chuckle when you, when you made that comment about, you know, DevOps being going to work. Uh, I, I, a fellow I've worked with for a long time when he came to, to work for me at 10th Magnitude, um, and was, that's when he started learning about DevOps because he's coming to do that. And after he kind of did some stuff, he's like, well, I've been doing this for a long time, but I just called it work. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's, that was the, the right. thing is like, uh, I, I can't remember if it was Patrick DeBar or Damon Edwards who, who tweeted, uh, it was a couple of years ago. He said, we should just rename DevOps common sense. And I said, yeah, but that won't fit on my license plate. So <laughs> right. Right. Well, and here's the other thing. Like, like seriously, I, you know, we, we spent a, a, a good, what, half hour, 20 minutes, half hour talking about like the issues and the concerns and things that worry me about DevOps. But, you know, giving the, the reason you kind of don't actually want to call it common sense or go into work is because, there are a set of practices and patterns, right? Good practices to go back to that Kinevin thing that really influence in a positive way, not only organizations and people, and you literally cannot talk about them unless you have the words to talk about them. And DevOps gives us the words and the context to have those conversations. So in that regard, yes, we might, the industry might shift where most of us, you know, 80% of us are doing some form of DevOps, right? But we do risk that the challenge of if we can't describe it anymore, then, then we have a problem talking about it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, again, we're just sort of joking about it being like that, but you're right. You still have to think about that. It's a different way of, of thinking and, 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 uh, an evolving and always evolving way of, of thinking. So who should we be listening to that we aren't listening to? Well, um, I think, uh, and, and, and I'll full disclosure. Um, this is a little bit of an area that I'm super interested in. So it's, it's sort of, um, I, I'm a little biased. Um, but I think, um, a lot of, uh, the, the work and interest, um, around, uh, what the safety sciences have to bring to the operation of IT systems is really important. I think, um, starting to really look at, uh, you know, automation, uh, is still a big thing looking at, 
at other industries doing that. So this is the work that I've been doing on um, the work that John Allspaw has been doing. Um, I know there are people going into that area from the chaos engineering community. They're get, they are getting really interested in this, right? So there's an interesting kind of swirl, you know, if you talk about DevOps and then like the security community, DevSecOps, right? Um, and then you also talk about kind of the safety, you know, safety critical systems um, or systems that we build that we don't even know they're safety critical, right? I, I, I'm willing to bet that AWS is in some way safety critical in a way that we aren't aware of. There's some system relying on some service that relies on something that's in AWS and we can't map that anymore, right? So I think we're going to be, um, you know, I, I think as an industry, because of the pervasiveness of technology, um, we certainly know that certain technology is safety critical, but I think we're, there's a huge shift in our industry to really take that responsibility that all of the technology, at least in some way is probably, uh, borderline safety critical. Um, and, and the, the reason we would do that, here's the important part. I think it's going to influence the way that we work which is important. But the other thing is we need to take ownership of that because, um, and, and this is something that uh, John Allspaw just said at DevOps Enterprise Summit and, and in his talk, um, you know, if we don't own that criticality, maybe not safety critical, but criticality of the software and services that are, that, that um, play a role in our society. If we don't own that, somebody else will. And I mean, regulators and the, and lawmakers will own it for us. And that's where you get people going to jail for things. And if we're not okay with that, if, if that concerns you, we need to start having those conversations big time because we got to catch up on that conversation with, with other industries and, and, um, we need to start owning that now. So I think that's a, that's a big area, um, that, that we should start listening to more. And then, of course, I would just mention I put a plug in for release engineering because I think release engineering isn't going away. I think with Internet of Things, it's getting worse. And I had an epiphany the other day that, um, and this was, um, uh, Michael Stanky from, uh, 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 from Puppet. He, in his talk, was talking about how ops people, um, he, he, he gave a keynote at PuppetConf. And he was talking about how ops people um, have become the, you know, the, the shift for them and sort of this DevOps thing is they were asked to start pushing the bits out the door. Like, go take this package that is our website at our service and put it on all these servers, right? So they became de- – your, your operations team became de facto um, release engineers – but the thing is, a lot of operations people don't have any training in release engineering. I mean, that's not a comment on them. They're busy, you know, running distributed systems and at scale and doing all, you know, you know, doing keeping the lights on and all of that. Uh, so it's not a comment on them. But but I, I had this realization, and and this happened a lot uh, on the ship show where you know Sasha has uh, Sasha and I would talk about things, and and I found out I thought release engineering and operations were a little closer than they actually are because we would use words that neither of us had heard, and so we. We would talk about that on the show about um, what we meant by those words. And so there was an exchange of knowledge that was really good. So I think release engineering is still a big thing. I think it's going to get bigger with with DevSecOps and uh, software supply chain. Um, And I think so I think we need to also pay attention to that. Absolutely. So uh, speaking of Michael Stanky, uh, he has two questions for you. Uh, So his first question. And I probably I always butcher his name. Anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> his his first question for you is when is the ship show coming back? Uh, that's a very good question. Um so uh 
there are no current plans, although there have been conversations actually about what, how we could do it in a more sustainable way. Um, and there, there've been conversations with with some of the, um, co-hosts. Um, I'm really proud of the ship show. Um, and I'm, I'm actually, I think one of the things I'm most proud of, uh, of it is the last episode because burnout is still a big problem. Um, it was front of mind for a lot of people back then. And I, and I think it made a point that like, uh, you know, we're, we're burnt out on doing this. Um, and that's how we did what was right for us. Um, but there are conversations about it. Um, I still actually get, um, sometimes people pinging about, can we buy ads on the ship show? And I, like, well, you can give me your money, but, uh, I don't but know. I, well, I don't know. It'll be, it may be a while since it sees the airwaves yeah. as it were. Well, I will say if, if you ever want to do like a reunion show, I, that would be you're, fine. You're welcome to, that, that would, would be, be fine. fine. I'll, I'll give you the reins. It's funny. Okay. Charity, charity asked, like we, we had this theory and we've just never done it because she had people she wanted to interview. I was like, well, I'll give you the, the reins of the show for a couple episodes if you want to do it and you know we start talking about that beginning of the year it never happened but yeah you know you can can always borrow our our audience and uh yeah no that'd be fun know, to do our, a reunion yeah a reunion episode uh stocky also wants to know what's the most heinous build system you've ever seen and did you build it <laughs> um well so i think there's there's uh, a distinction to be to a distinction to be made between heinous and complicated so one of uh, I, one of the, I think, in terms of, of heinous or just things that a build system that was just very not good, I think any build system that um, is doesn't really serve developers well, actually doesn't serve all of the users that need it. So sometimes that's QA people, it's definitely release engineers, and it's definitely developers. That sort of can be a heinous build system. And, and I see us moving backward as an industry. Uh, in terms of build systems. So the example that I give is how many build processes, like, like the, the analogy or the heuristic I always give is, is can you build on a train? Um, and most people, it's like, no, I can't because the build system checks out sub modules in the middle of the build or the build system does an NPM install in the middle of the build. So I, I literally can't build on a train because I have to be connected. Right. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, there are, are, um, you know, the biggest thing that I see now is, is a lot, as we try to integrate a lot of the different types of technologies, build systems that like always rebuild things, right? Uh, and I think again, that goes back to, um, release engineering is important. Those are problems release engineers used to solve. And now we're getting this mishmash of developers are designing build systems. Um, with their use case in mind, and that's fine, right? And th- but then operating uh, ops people, operations people also have to use it, so they bolt stuff on, and you get this thing that's kind of this Franken build system that that is not really great for anyone, and that's where uh, you know the art of release engineering really comes in. Now, I want to uh, say one last thing about that. I made the distinction between heinous and complicated. Um, there was a build system that I worked on that was very complicated. It wasn't so heinous it was just complicated and it did things like um the product built on windows and linux and uh, mac but components of it had to be built with gcc very low level assembly level components had to be built with gcc so the build system had this weird flagging mechanism where it would like the windows build would start building and then it would pause and wait and then tell via nfs a, uh, a, a Linux machine to start building the components it needed. Uh, and so it would build it with GCC and then drop the components back on NFS and the Windows build would continue. And when it was this 
really bad, like handshaking, whatever. That was, that was pretty complicated. Parts of it were pretty heinous, but, uh, but yeah, I haven't written any of those. People hire me to fix that stuff. <laughs> so, uh, Josh Zimmerman, who is, uh, the Jubarwaki on Twitter. Hey, uh, Josh. He some, yeah. Uh, he was hilarious. Um, and he is one hilarious. of my favorite, he, favorite ignites that he gives. Yeah. I was going to say, he uh, does the, the DevOps, DevOps jacks. Yeah, Jack Jack Andy, Andy, yeah. 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 Um, so Josh wants to know what is your favorite source control management system and why is it get? <laughs> so a lot of people, uh, especially from if you listen to the ship show, think that I hate Git. And the thing is, I, I don't hate what Git allows us to do. I hate that Git, I hate Git's user experience. I hate that Git was bolted together in a weekend and I don't, I, there's a great – I'll see if I can pull this thread up. There was a great proposal in the Git mailing list recently about they wanted to add release management capabilities to Git. And I wrote this whole big long thread of why that's a horrible idea. And um, so the thing is I use Git. I use it daily. I help teams use Git better. Um, and and you ha- usually have to do that because there's so many workflows. And if you all use different workflows, it's a shit show. Um but, uh, and in fact, there's a blog post from 2014 that I, uh, on SysAdvent, which I was looking at because I'm, I'm helping out this year with that. Um, and uh, some of the, some yeah, of those. By the tips, way, speaking of, I need to finish writing my, I, the Chris Weber, like, let me know. Um, he's yelling at the you. The day before Thanksgiving. Oh, by the way, your post is supposed to be published on December 2nd. Yeah. So you better get I, on that. I know. That's what yeah. I'm doing. Uh, but anyway, the, those were Git tips from 2014. One of them is, on your team, have a Git language lawyer, right? If you have like code C++, you have a C++ language lawyer. Have a Git language lawyer that knows all of those details and can help you with that. That's super important. So I, I don't, um, I don't hate Git. I just hate its user experience. Absolutely. I think and we can do better. Yes. Um, final question. I love from, everyone, Matt. Yes, everybody, everybody. Final questions from Jason Dixon, who says, when did you finally realize that Five Guys is better than in and out I don't think I've had that realization yet. Sorry, Jason. The fries are better. Uh, well, now, wait a minute. Aren't Five Guys the really, really thin fries? Uh, no, no, they're not, like, super thin. But they're not like steak fries. They're they're pretty good. Maybe it's just because they give you so many, and I'm a glutton. Maybe now, is Five Guys also the one that does the peanuts? Yeah. While, while you wait, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. So it's funny. The last time I went to In and Out, uh, actually, was uh, during Velocity, and Pete Cheslock came in. He flew in. And, to go to In and Out? No, well, he flew in for Velocity, but he'd been drinking the entire flight, which is his uh, signature Cheslock move. Right. And he hey, was like, "It'll get you where you gotta go." It'll get you where you gotta go. Yes, um, that's also a, a Cheslockism. But uh, so he was like, he was like, "I need In and Out. Can we do In and Out?" I was like, "Okay," because I, I had a, a car, and so we went to we went to In and Out. So I, I still, I don't know. I got to represent the the California In and Out. I can dig it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun. So yeah. Let me uh, just get some some updates here. So uh, just a couple community uh, and event stuff uh, coming up. Um, basically, there's a bunch of open CFPs, a bunch of DevOps days uh, opened up their uh, proposal. So if you go to devopsdays.org slash speaking, you'll see all those. And uh, by the way, you can thank uh, the aforementioned Bridget for writing the code that makes that show up cool like that. Uh, Velocity. Uh, 
has theirs open. So if you go to conferences.oreilly.com slash velocity and uh, ChefConf, which will be in Chicago this year, which I think is kind of cool because, um, you know, I'll be able to go to it for sure. <laughs> uh, so the CFP is open for that. And I meant to write it down. But you know what? Google ChefConf CFP and I you'll find it because that's what I was going to do to give you the link. So and we'll probably put it in the show notes if I remember. Um, and speaking of show notes, if you go to arrestedevops.com slash Grandpa Paul, that's where they'll be. And on the site, you can sign up for our newsletter, The Banana Stand. And uh, also, uh, by the way, I keep forgetting to tell people, but people always want stickers. Uh, you can either, you know, if you find me somewhere, if I'm at an event, I probably have some. But if you can't wait, if you go to arrestedevops.com slash stickers, you can buy our stickers from Sticker Mule. We sell them for cost. We're not making any money on them or anything. So go ahead. Uh, throw them all over your laptop and stuff. It's pretty cool. Matt is They're, not going to Hawaii on your sticker. Not anymore. on the stickers. No, sorry. <laughs> um, and yeah, if you go to restdevopscom slash iTunes, uh, leave us a review in the iTunes store. You know, it helps other people find the podcast and uh, yeah, Paul, thank you for joining me today. I'm glad uh, we finally got this. Yeah. Call. Yeah. Let's it's not been have a- it be years before we do it again. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, I want to wish everyone a happy holidays. I'll see you on the uh, the the ship show reunion episode. There we go. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm Matt at Matt Stratton on Twitter. This is Arrested DevOps, and remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand. <laughs>